Hey, everybody, guess what? What? It's getting to be that time of the year again. You know what time of the year that is? Is it time for That's They right. Joined It? It's They Joined It time. <laughs> if you are a Patreon member on the 14th of January, which is around the corner, we're going to do a They Joined It. That's where we have like kind of a round table with a bunch of our listeners and talk about the season and do like a big, a big group thing. It's gone really well the last few times that we've done it. Come on over. It's a great way to support us anyway. Patreon.com slash They Coined It Pod. And we've kind of rejiggered our tiers so that more people are invited. So join us. They joined it. Come on over to Patreon.com slash They Coined It Pod. Did I guess right, Dan? We'll see you on the 14th. Yes, you did. Cha-ha. term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. During all this levity, did you mention that cran prune sounds like a glass of diarrhea? Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. And we cover Mad Men episode by episode. The best way to support us is through our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash they coined it pod. But also uh, hit us with those five-star reviews. Come on, let's get us back up to five. Five, we're at four, seven. We've been holding a steady four, seven. Anyway, hi, Dan. <laughs> hey, Roberta, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Still good. Just give me like a one to five. Of how I am? No, of this of quality of mercy. Tell me, tell me what you think. I see. In a one to five, give me a stars. I think it's, boy, I have a hard time. It did not have the same effect on me as it did the first time. I had to go back and check how blown away I was by it the first time. I think it's like a 4.5. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of 4.7. Wow. Uh, but it didn't hit me as a 4.5 this time. But I think it did the first yeah. time. How's that for a scramble? Yeah, more 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 words than I thought based on the five-star system. Um yeah, I would give it maybe three and a half, three and a half or four. Maybe if I watched it again, I'd think it was four. But no, not. Um, yeah, this one was tough for me. I didn't. It did not grab me. Especially, especially for a penultimate episode of a season. Usually, just stronger that way. The quality of mercy was written by <laughs> Andre and Maria Jacquemitan. They're back. We haven't heard those names in a while. Directed by Phil Abraham, another veteran. Original air date was June 16th, 2013, and takes place in October 1968. Following Don's embarrassment with Sally, he is drinking heavily again. Kenny gets shot during a hunting accident with GM and wants to resign the account, opening the lead account position at SCDP. Or, sorry, Sterling Cooper and Partners... Sunkist wants to do a large amount of TV advertising, creating a conflict with Ocean Spray that they will lose. Ocean Spray, that is. Sally interviews at a boarding school. Everyone notices that Ted and Peggy are flirting and it's making things uncomfortable, including their work on St. Joseph's. You know those people at work. And, and it's they're either having an affair and covering it up by being so obnoxiously cute together because they're like, see, we're just friends and friends do this. <laughs> Shut up. Or yeah. they're not. 
And I, you know, we don't know right now, but I, I'm, I'm voting that they're currently not sleeping together. And, but, but they're, they're emboldened by that fact. Emboldened by the fact that they're not, that sleeping they're not together. sleeping together to be this yeah. obnoxious in front of everybody. And it is, yeah. listen, they are, they, I think they did a fantastic job writing, creating this, this, this world of the two of them being giggly and obnoxious and everybody hating them. Like we're not fucking so we can really lay it on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a, good po- that's a really good point. That's a good point. I've seen both kinds, right? I'm sure you have too. The, the kind where they are sleeping together, but they're emboldened by the fact that they used to not. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they just fuck in front of other people. That, that's the sure. that's the ultimate, yeah. Th- that would explain to me, the, the way you're explaining it, they're laying it on because they're so virtuous. That's right. We have nothing to hide, so we can be like this. Right. Uh, that would explain the what I think was pretty terrible acting. <laughs> I did not like these scenes at all to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that the characters are bad actors. That's right. It's not Kevin Ram and Elizabeth Moss that can't act. It's <sighs> it's Ted and Peggy. They're fooling right. no one. I mean, everyone in every scene is like gagging over this. Not the right. not the current kind of gagging, but the actual <laughs> the eighties yeah. kind of gagging. <laughs> it's like um it's like you have to be a good skier. To act like a bad skier, you know, you have to know how to ski to stumble the right way. That's what that's maybe what this is, because um, th- th- these scenes were just they were ugly and awful and yuck. No, they're supposed to be. Yeah, they're brutal. You were pushing right up against rooting for Don, except he was <laughs> right. so awful, <laughs> you know, but like you didn't mind the little nudge he was giving it. But then, it, mm-hmm. it you know, he was mm-hmm. being a total dick. Well, you didn't mind it when it was sun-kissed because that was more money for the firm. It makes there's, there's a business reason for what he was doing that was pretty unassailable. So That's right. that was that was cut and dry. But uh, first of all, the episode opens with Don drinking orange juice and then right. pouring vodka into it, but but it opens with orange juice, right? And even though it was Tropicana. And then with his heavy drinking, he he uh Megan gets him to stay home, but at some point they get a phone call from Harry and Harry is like, look, we've got this thing going on. Right. You know, there's a, there's a chance now with, with Sunkist. Then they go to the movies and see what turns out to be Rosemary's baby, which is, and they run into Peggy and Ted. But I just fast forwarded through all that to say that it is after they get home from the movies that Don calls Harry back. The pursuit of Sunkist is immediately a punishment to seeing. I mean, that's what happens. He comes back from right, seeing those right. two. He's grossed out. He's pissed. Right. And he calls Sunkist and he, and he creates trouble. And I would call that doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Don can justify his actions, even if they're out of spite. Wrong reason. He should have managed to make Sunkist happen based on Harry's first call. Right. He should have taken. That's right. You know, he didn't have to wait for that. Uh, but yeah, certainly see, seeing them at the movies is was the trigger. No question. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But then when we get into the St. Joseph's thing, that's just, that's just, that's the monster. That's right. Right. That's the wrong thing for the wrong reason. Absolutely. And even, I mean, all of it, the whole thing was a setup because I'm like, you could even justify the budget thing because Ted's, Ted was wrong. 
I mean, look at how the client reacted. He was wrong, but it's the kind of thing that if you're at Ted and Don's levels, level, that you can do and then talk your way out of or talk the client through it. It's it's the it's the forgiveness is easier than permission part of the job. Right. And because Don made the call and pissed off the client. What and Don did not need to go and act like it was permission. He knew, he knew that that was a, a seek forgiveness issue based on the quality of the creative, based on the quality of the idea. We're going to make this work. Um, this is about your brand. You know, all that kind of kabuki stuff that Don can do. And Ted could probably do, too, if he if he. Which which was his plan. That basically. was his plan. But Don forced their hand, and that's the part that was completely unnecessary. Under under the guise of, oh, I'm just doing the right thing. It's bullshit. And Peggy knew it. That's what Peggy was calling him out on. So you've got this <laughs> Ted and Peggy business in the office. You've got the sun kiss thing, which we've already talked about, but the 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 St. Joseph's is the Rosemary's baby. The reason they went to see Rosemary's baby, which apparently they had both seen was to check something is is there a japanese in the final scene that was lovely it's the um it's like on seinfeld where the guy would always uh i forget it was a side character where he would make up a uh a phony premise that you have to solve in order to get the date was jack lemon in star wars Right, <laughs> <laughs> and she go, and the and the woman goes, "No, he wasn't in Star. I think he was in Star Wars. Let's go see Star Wars and settle this." That was the thing, or 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 we'll go check, and if I'm wrong, you have to go on a date with me. That kind of thing. Yeah, that's what. That so, <laughs> I got a million of them. <laughs> <laughs> so. And that's when they run into Don and Megan. Yeah. Which kind of made me think, and this is a research thing, but like there are movie theaters every few blocks in Manhattan. And Don Megan, <laughs> being as Don was homesick that day, could have maybe chosen a theater more remote. Again, maybe there were, I would assume, in fact, there were way, way fewer options. In 1968. It's the only theater they could have attended. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, no. The St. Joseph's spot that they are developing, which is Peggy's big idea, was is is based on the final scene of Rosemary's Baby. It was interesting, too. The, um, the lights come up. We see Don and Megan in the movie theater. And Megan says, wow, that was scary. And we don't know what the movie is yet. And I thought, what a weird thing to say at the end of a scary movie. Like, it's not mm-hmm. what you would normally say. But with Rosemary's Baby, it is, because it is all in the ending where you're really scared. There's other scary moments. Never seen it. Never seen it. You've movie. never seen it? No. Oh, it's a fucking masterpiece. I hear. I mean, it's culturally, it's still, you know, this milestone, but no, never seen it. Rapist director aside, I it is a masterpiece. It's got a strong feminism thing happening. It's layered. It's brilliant. And it's terrifying. Wow. And it's got Ruth Gordon at her best. Well, listen, it pairs very well with Children's Aspirin, from what I understand. They kind of sold it to me, even though it's 
it is a bizarre fit. But anyway, my point is, if you're in a, you, normally it's not the at the end of a scary movie where you're like, wow, that was scary, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. scary's come and gone. Sure. And maybe that was upsetting, but it actually, it is horrifying and like it was an appropriate reaction. I want to say one more thing mm. about Rosemary's Baby. I actually had to go back and check on myself to see what I thought of this episode. Right? You know, go back to the blog and be like, what, what are we saying? What was I saying? Uh, apparently what I said at the time was it kind of, the episode felt like a horror movie. I've said that before. There've been a few other episodes. A few, yeah. I mean, Kenny gets shot in the face. It's another eight, nine screen minutes before we even know if he's alive. <laughs> Not to right. Much, right. But I mean, there's a lot that's scary and upsetting. And then you've got this, this Rosemary baby in the background. Yeah, it's it's more of this late sixties, late sixty eight in particular. Um, life was a horror. The violence and all that, but this this I specifically had said horror horror movie, and then there is this horror movie as a as a metaphor. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it starts off with as you said, kind of Don in that you know one of those classic Mad Men openings, fetal position. Uh, I guess that's Sally's room or Bobby's room, maybe. I think it's Sally's room. You know, he's sleeping off being drunk the night before. I don't think we have to look too deeply at it. That that's the uh, the aftermath of of what happened with Sally, right? And we saw it last episode, where the next thing we see is Don drunk alone in a bar. Yeah, it's a continuation. No We're question. seeing that continuation. We're also seeing he doesn't get into bed with Megan anymore. I mean, she's she's she wakes up kind of freaked out. Yeah, he's pulling away. Where is he? And he's in the fetal position, as you say. Uh, so he do, he's not even coming to bed. Megan is, it is a poor Megan episode. I mean, she's just wandering around this episode trying to find her marriage and her husband with very little uh, <laughs> help from Don. No, no, it's it's more of that pulling away and distancing. And it's, you know, it's it's very clear. It's very clear. And she says the thing to him about, honey, you got to pull back on the throttle. That's her role here is is that she is still trying. His secretary with that too, remember? Exactly. She's still trying to be helpful to him and to the marriage. That that's nothing's changed there for her. For him, I think it's just a fear of the reality or what he feels could be the reality of him not being able to fix things. Yeah. I I can't. I've made things worse with my daughter. I've made things worse with my wife. Even if she's trying, I'm not worthy. And he can't address any of it with anybody because if he pushes it too far, somebody is going to expose something. Yeah. He's been fuck. I mean, he's been he's been fucking the neighbor's wife. He loves the neighbor. He loves his own wife ostensibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't say what's wrong with Sally or anything. Why isn't Sally coming? It's all a deep dark secret. He's got to just sit with it, and then we're watching him do that. It's not pretty. And, and let's let's talk about Sally because she's very prominent here. Perhaps her own aftermath of what she learned about her dad was she doesn't want to stay. <laughs> you know, she wants to get away from it all, which boarding school is probably a probably a very welcome option for her. Betty, of course, assumes it's Betty she wants to get away with. She wants to get away from, and and maybe that's partly true. But really, the impetus was this event. Sally wants to just run as far away from the life that she's been living in because she wants to get that image out of her head forever. And Betty 
you know, maybe it was the burglar. Maybe it was her friend after the mock UN. You know, we talked about that. I love how that comes up again. <laughs> and it also tells us specifically that um, Sally hasn't told Betty anything. Not that we think Sally would, but it does it does nail that. Also, we get this phone call with Don and Betty where Betty calls Don to to tell her, to tell him about this decision. First, he's, you know, it's about, it's regarding Sally, something like that. She's very formal and he's like, oh my God, what? Yeah. And then it's, she wants to go to boarding school and he's like, whatever, I'll pay for it. And <laughs> she's like, that's if she gets in. Buy my way out of this problem if I can. What does that cost, right? The conversation between Betty and Don, that sex was very good for their relationship. Yes, yes. Betty is totally... Civil, collaborative, he even like flirts with her and she takes it, right? She she knows he's drinking. She knows it's whatever hour in the morning and she's like, what are you taking for that cold? 44D, yeah. The school was attended by Jackie Kennedy Onassis and Don says the thing about, Betty says she she did well twice and, and Don says so did you. The last time Betty was, you know, nasty to Don was after that burglar incident. But between then and now... Yeah, they slept together. <laughs> so so it's it's clearly a, a, a new day for Betty. You say what you want about marital fidelity. That cheat did not seemingly mess up her marriage and no, seems to have her. done wonders for her relationship with her ex. So That's right. There's one for cheating right there in the cheating scorecard. She's not coming this weekend either. Oh. That's too bad. Although you should tell her if she does come, I'm going to be working all weekend. Why would I tell her that? We also start out with this this little hunting trip <laughs> for for Ken Cosgrove. And, you know, it's more of the same. It's just this bullying and horrible experience and behavior. I love they throw in a lot of when Ken gets to describing what happened. You know, again, was he shot in the face, in the chest, in the arm? I guess it grazed his his head. He's got those scrapes on his face Ugh. and the eye patch. But he didn't have the eye patch. He had the eye patch in a previous episode, right? Or he did not, am I imagining No, you're that? just thinking of gifts and mixing up your timelines. Yeah, no. No eye patch. This is new. Okay. But the bullet didn't hit him in the eye. Uh, it. We could presume that would be a much bigger injury, I would think. You would think, but I don't know. And... <laughs> Knows. Among among the great sight gags, the great dark sight gags we've ever had <laughs> is Kenny mi- sticking out his hand for the handshake and missing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. No, we don't we don't know the extent of the injuries. Like I said, we it took us a, a bunch of minutes to even know if he was dead or alive. We don't right. get a description of the injuries. And I would just like to say, to point back to a cultural moment that would not have happened today, but the world, when this happened, when he got shot, rang out with one chorus of, oh my God, they killed Kenny. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. South Park, yeah, yeah. Everybody, like, joked about that the next day. And it's that, it's that wide shot. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Almost nobody would think of that today. It was that was an of the moment. No, I certainly didn't. You're you're right. I hadn't thought of it at all. But they slip in a few things when Kenny gives the description. He says, 
talks about how much he hates Detroit. He hates cars. I can't even look at a steak. <laughs> is a great line. And he says, they wanted to stop for lunch on the way to the hospital. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Both uh, both telling and just a great comedic line. Yes. That was both. really great. And, and Kenny delivers it perfect. Apparently, that was a very real scenario that the, the Detroit car guys were this abusive to their account guys. Oh, yeah. No, no. I think it's totally steeped in, in reality for, for the the category for, for this. Yeah, those were some hard-living dudes. There was also a nice edit of, um, again, you've got this scene where he gets shot and that wide shot and, and you don't know. <laughs> you don't know <laughs> what came of it. The next shot, if you will, is Don and Megan apartment and and don in front of the tv but it's the crime the crime the the nixon ad it's all about (laughs) crime and and everything is you know all the crime and we you know we can just look on our tvs now yeah we're just soaking in it basically and then they go and now look at the law-abiding citizens and that's these guys allegedly right these guys are are people (laughs) who believe themselves to be the good guys in the in that i mean those guys were the guys targeted in that ad who would be like, yeah, yeah, criminals? Well, yes, well, yes, and no, because that also was this what was called the Southern strategy, which was Nixon, you know, using race to to court the South. And I'm saying, look at these guys. I grant you, they're not in the South, right? But these right. guys it was are just as well, right? I understand. Absolutely sure. of the <laughs> agree of the whiteness. <laughs> so yeah, so it opens up this hole on the account because. Kenny's got what everyone thinks is the plum job. And nobody takes that back. Like, that's what's so <laughs> remarkable about this is how unremarkable this violence to Kenny after the car accident that had already happened is, it is not, rem- it is barely, nobody is, it's just a blip. It's like, what are you complaining about? You've got the OGs basically, you know, comparing war stories of I had to do this and I had to do that. So, it's just a matter of, yeah, they just think that's part of the job. But Kenny's a younger guy starting a family. Maybe they think he's soft if he's not, you know, willing to, uh, you know, grab lunch on the way to the hospital with a bullet in his head. Roger's calling him Cyclops and, you know, these ridiculous <laughs> jokes. You're like, th- th- these things would be a thousand percent unacceptable <laughs> now. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was of the time. There was no sense of protecting Kenny from further violence. There was no. just no sense that, that, like, just suck it up, Buttercup. What the hell happened? I'm fine. Well, obviously not. I thought you were in Detroit. I was. I told them that Cynthia was pregnant and they took me out to celebrate and they shot me. <laughs> what? It's not funny. Chevy is killing me. I hate Detroit. But Pete's right there to uh, to pick up the pieces if if once he hears that Kenny's Kenny's out, and um, it's not that simple, which is weird, right? You'd think Pete, as a partner, would have a little more leverage. I don't think I understood until this episode how bad it's been for Pete. Like because right. he, again, I, I I say it in every every pod we do. He's such a fucking whiny, miserable son of a pissant mm. that it's hard to listen to the validity of his complaints. But you are right. Why was this so hard for him to like he's 
he's sitting there with basically no accounts, certainly not the glamour account. Yeah. And why is it so hard? Why can't they just give it to him? Is he just on the outs since Vic's left? Is it just sort of, you know, punishment or penance of some kind? Or he's just, there's just so many people at the higher level now that there's this merger that he's pushed down. But Bob's not one of them. But that's the thing. That's the weird part is, you know, sure, you could make a case that the continuity of having Bob there and they like him. And by the way, getting back to my point about how much I was not charmed by Bob, charmed with the Bob story at all. I think a lot of that is steeped in and continues to be steeped in. We don't see Bob doing any work. We don't see him with clients. We don't see him with a pitch. We don't see him you know, that amorphous kind of vague job description of what does an account person do. We don't see him do it. We see Roger do it. We see Pete do it. We do not see Bob do it, ever. For the most part, we saw Bob, if the office is your clients, we saw him doing an artificial and not great job of it. He was weird and he showed up at the funeral. and he- Well, une- uneven, right? He's, yeah. he's great. He, he certainly got Pete. You know, he's yeah, boss. Okay, he's he's a man on the man on the spot. But right, so so th- to me, this is why it's so curious why Bob is in the same conversation with Pete. No, that's an that's an interesting, that's a that's a fair observation. Uh, now, <laughs> when I tell you that I don't remember things, I remembered gay. I didn't remember con. Oh, I didn't remember any of this. I didn't remember a single fucking thing. No. Oh, you didn't either. Okay, that's that. I because my sister was like basically patted me on the head about when I told her that. She's like, you just really don't remember things. So No. In fact, nothing. I, I don't remember a single thing. Maybe Kenny getting shot. I don't remember a single thing from this episode when we first when it first ran. And I've not watched it since. Never. Like if you'd said, does Rosemary's baby come up in Mad Men, I'd go, yeah, there was a thing about that, but not certainly not with this episode or when or how. But here he is. Somehow, he did win over Harry Hamlin. I don't know that I got that that was sincere last time. We don't know. Yeah, it's it's a mystery. It's a mystery. It plays into what happens later, you know, with the with the thing with Duck and all the rest. But for now, yeah, Bob's kind of the man on top with with GM. What we see with this ridiculous dynamic with with uh, Peggy and Ted is uh, they took the tour of the ocean spray and there's this guy that they're pretending is is funny or whatever. They're making everyone sick in the creative room, first of all. And it's clear that they've got a, a, a significant product line, right? They've got all these different juices, all these different flavors, and it seems like a significant account. They've got the entire creative team basically working on it. Cran prune. Cran prune. Cran prune. I remember it. Cran prune. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay, carry on. Um, I'm just cran prune. Okay. I don't think there was ever a cran prune. I don't think there was. It's very funny. <laughs> but this is clearly when, you know, all, all these items are making it on the way to store shelves and, and um, you know, spending a lot on, on, on the marketing. And so they're tasting them and they're putting words and characterizations together. You know, it's part of that that process. We see that it's a significant account. And when the sun kiss thing comes along from a call from Harry from the West Coast, we see how disruptive it is. 
to what's going on. Like Ted's legitimately pissed, but he really has no no argument to make ultimately. Would you agree? Yes, Ted was being a big baby. We've seen that this is the business. You have to fire clients. You have to fire clients you've given your word to. You have to fire clients you have relationships with when the bigger client comes along. Yep. Again, I've said this before. I don't know at what point this became a thing, but they should just open a new office to handle Sunkist and to start handling other clients. I'm sorry, not just open another office, open another company. Uh, Yeah, a smaller agency, right. A spinoff. And I love the little note about color TV driving Sunkist spend, right? Very cool. And it's what Don said, not in this episode, was, was it's orange. That's what else is there? It's our it's orange and that's going to look great on TV. And the argument for Ocean Spray getting the business in the previous episode was bird in hand. Right? This is cash that's being offered now versus a maybe from Sunkist. We maybe we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't wait. Let's go. And of course, when you do that, you you end up getting both. As it turns out, that was where because what later Don says to him is you are not thinking with your head. Right. And he, I love, he says that more than once, and he never says what he's thinking with. He just leaves it alone. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Ted talks about loyalty in that moment, and he looks right at Don. That was an accusation with the look that Don is not keeping his, his word, the pact he made last time when Ted got Mitchell out of trouble. That's right, yeah. He said this war has to be over. Now... Walking in with Sunkist shouldn't be perceived as part of the war, even though, as we already said, Don definitely finagled it out of revenge. But, you know, Ted took it completely personally, which is why he was being so adamant about it. And Ted was wrong. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But listen, Ted also talking about loyalty. <laughs> this is a guy trying not to cheat on his wife. So it's probably on his mind in a few different ways. So that's the setup for what happens with St. Joseph's, right? Because when we get there, we've seen Don act, you know, decisively in the firm's interest and sort of on the right side of the argument, even if, again, right thing for the wrong reason. With St. Joseph's, you know, we go through this whole thing with, again, more more cringy scenes of, of, their, of their flirting. They act out the the creative and it is it's one of those things where we're meant to go yes legitimately cute idea joan gets to play a little jewish mother which is nice too. amazing and i didn't remember that this was where don going wah wah came from right i couldn't i you know that's like that's one of these things you see all over the place and i didn't remember the source that was great and so we're, 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 we're in favor of this idea, but then this little tripwire comes with the budget, that it's over budget, and you know all those dominoes start to fall with Don sending it to the client, right? The budget, that is. So, yeah, he knows it's going to trip them up. And, and, and in terms of, you know, I see a huge, I think we're supposed to see a huge mirror effect with what Don's doing, which is which is picking a fight that he gets to sit and watch, which is exactly what Sally does when Mm. she's staying overnight at the school. So as we mentioned, Sally's interviewing at this boarding school. They're also both just punishing the wrong people. Oh, yeah. 
Well, it doesn't matter who fights. They're looking to to set a fire and watch it burn, you know, pick a fight and watch two people go at it. That, that's what they're after. And hurting and hurting people who have nothing to do with why they are hurting. It's collateral damage. But that's what we see. So Sally's over. Part of the interview process, again, a little contrived here. I don't know if this was a thing. An actual sleepover to get the girls to... To see if you like it and then get the girls to approve of you. And now yeah. we're in like a 70s sorority uh, horror TV film. Maybe, maybe sit in on a civics class. That, I imagine that would be the, the extent of the, of the trial <laughs> run. But they have Sally now staying over at the two girls' dorm room. And it's the den, you know, whoever it is, the dorm mother and alcohol and cigarettes and booze. What'd you bring us? You should have been prepped on the, you know, before you came that you're supposed to bring us this stuff. Like, like it's, like it's a prison structure. And who shows up before talking about boarding school? Glenn Bishop. Well, she makes the call. Sally makes the call. The girls are like, what can you get for us? And we don't see Sally say, let me make a call. But that's what happens. That part felt believable. That was the one piece that felt believable. The Glenn and Sally stuff. I, you know, I've been very hard on on Glenn as a character and Martin Weiner as a an actor. But I thought that um, every look they gave each other, every word they exchanged was wonderful. The two of them. For sure. For sure. And he comes over with his friend. Glenn comes over with his friend. Uh, Rolo. R- Rolo. Sh- fine. Most of... The acting, except for Sally's and some of some of Glenn's, was pretty bad. It was just all bad. It was just not a, not a. It didn't feel. I didn't feel like I was in a you know a, a, a prep school dorm room at all. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have it as a problem with the acting so much as the the staging of it all. Yeah, truly. But the the upshot here is that. You know, Sally doesn't want to start making out with Rolo and Glenn's in the other room with the other girl. By refusing to to fool around, you know, Glenn then goes in and swings at his friend and they get into a fight and it's a big, big, big tussle. He was aggressive with her, but not, I mean, when she backed, when she stood up. He didn't force her to do anything. No, he didn't force her to do anything. He was sitting on the floor giving her shit about it. But he right. was still on the floor and she says and she accuses him of attempted rape. And she absolutely he tried to force himself on me is not what happened. And she knows it. She's lighting the fire. Totally. And, and she and she likes watching not because she's got the hops for Glenn. Maybe, but it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's just the trouble that she wanted to make. She really just wanted to see it, see it light up. And it does. And that's, you know, I think that's the whole thing. Again, for Mad Men. A little too stagey, a little too obvious for that. Sure. Right? Yeah. But it's thrown in with the kicker when when she's on her way home with Betty. My father's never given me anything. Except for a taste to watch people fight over my, <laughs> my, my troublemaking. And again, you got Betty. I mean, Betty offered her the cigarette, right? Betty, before she said that. Yeah, this is their moment. Yeah, Betty is really... Uh... Betty is loosening up. You know, everything I've criticized this season, these last few seasons, this whole character arc of fat Betty and this, these last few Betty scenarios have been worth it. Well, this is the Betty reclamation project, right? It's like (laughs) Betty can't be this evil 
dark mother forever. Let's we're going to switch it up. They did push her too far. I mean, I think. Oh, yeah. Betty stuffing food into Sally's mouth at the Thanksgiving at Henry's mother's Thanksgiving table. (laughs) You know, who of us hasn't been there? We are redeeming her from from some of this behavior now. And so they have that wonderful moment and they share the cigarette. And by the way, you know, we smoked when we were kids and some of us smoked with our mothers, you know, like I didn't actually I stole her cigarettes, but I didn't smoke with her. But a 13, 14, 15 year old smoking with their mother was not unheard of. I loved Betty's line. I'd rather you do it in front of me. And I'm like, why? Yeah, that's just what you say to make yourself. Yeah, it means nothing. Like, it's not like I'd rather you have sex under my roof if you're going to have sex than out in a car. That's different, right? (laughs) It's just a cigarette. It's the same cigarette. (laughs) But Yes, she says the thing about Don and Betty, you know, hears it and and doesn't know what to make of it. No, yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't know what. But she's also seems I mean, I don't know. There's nothing after it. She seems largely incurious about it. (laughs) She she notes it. She notes it. Yeah, she notes it, but she's not investigating it, interrogating it. There's no follow up. Take a break. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back. So, Bob Benson of Brown Brothers Harriman. We have this this meeting where Pete is, I guess, being reluctantly put uh, given GM, and he starts to say, "But I, you know, I don't think Bob Benson should be on this account." And everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. And then Bob yeah. excuses himself. Right? He's like, "That you should probably do this without me." They're all like, what do you mean? Bob's great and the continuity, blah, blah, blah. And you can make an argument either way. It doesn't matter. It shows that Pete has no leverage. It shows that Bob has somehow become well-liked and valued. I loved this. Uh, So then the meeting's over. Pete leaves and there's Bob in the hallway and he shakes his hand. And it is like, this is like the handshake of death. This is like (laughs) a minute long handshake. They're practically holding hands, I might add. You're seeing Bob's smile, but now you're seeing now you're seeing sort of the evil grin. We've always wondered if that was what we were seeing. And Bob is facing the office where they can see they've got the vantage point is of the seniors is is Bob's face. Right. And Pete's back. And Bob is saying, do you have a problem with this through the smile? And they have this whole like fight through the smile, through the handshake. You're sick. Why would you say that? So you didn't profess your love to me? Only my admiration, which is waning quickly. This is not about my own interests. I care about Chevy. You should watch what you say to people. Is that right? Congratulations. Can you believe this guy? Pete and Bob go their separate ways. And what we see is that Pete reaches out to Duck and says, get this guy out of here. Find him a job. And we see Bob on the phone with Manolo in Spanish, furious. This Pete is is a motherfucking asshole. That's not what he says. But, you know, and it's just it's fascinating to see. And again, this is before we know what Duck finds out. This is before we know that he's Dick Whitman, basically. Hmm. And he is. Let's be very clear. Yeah, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Handsome. You know, Bob Benson, 
John Draper, the the alliterate. Yeah, like it's yeah. the same guy. We just we never saw that, and now it is. But first, we're seeing the fury, the the fighting uh, like a tiger, if you will. Chicago fans. Chicago Tiger. Chicago the musical. It's a lyric. Oh, sorry. That's okay. You were not the audience for that when I said I saw the Chicago movie. fans. Good yeah. movie. Yeah. Okay. Tiger. It's a lot. It's just a lyric. What's the lyric? I have to think of it. So in the movie, it's Richard Gere being the ventriloquist. And it's, did you fight him like a tiger? He had strength and wow. she had none. And yet they both <laughs> reach for the gun. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're both so. That's a reference you would get if someone said it like you just said it? 100%. Okay. That's amazing. What do I do with my nights out? I go to- Free time? <laughs> I go to a piano bar, a sing-along show tune piano bar. So would you like to know how many times I've sung that lyric in a crowd? Hundreds? I, I, again, I'm hundreds? Just, I, I, love, I love seeing that, that come through. That's awesome. So, but and anyway- Point is, what was remarkable to me was Bob's anger and Bob's rage and Bob unrecon... Now, again, we don't have a... We have not committed yet to who we think Bob is if we even have decided that we like him, which many of us have. No, we didn't even know he was capable of anything but but what we've seen. This is startling. This is... To me, this was upsetting. This was part of the the horror movie, is you're seeing this person be this whole other person. Hmm. And a vile one. Like, not a, you know, like a turn on, to like, what is he capable of? Yeah. Then, <laughs> so I guess the result, the result of the call to Manolo is, I don't know, Dorothy shows up at the office with Josephine, her caregiver. And this scene is just... Bizarre. One thing I love about it is that it's kind of loving between Dorothy and Pete, despite in a way, despite yeah. the, the the trappings. And the other thing is, you've got and we've talked about this before, and you know this world better than I do. So far, she's pretty lucid. You know, just because she suffers from dementia, yeah, she's making a plenty of sense in this scene. Yeah, I mean, what 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 you try to whether it's a loved one or you're someone you're caring for, or I assume even if you're a doctor caring for a patient, what you want is to, for them to have their best day possible. And if that best day is a four, they want to be a four. If it's a seven, seven. If it's a two, still a two. Just whatever's possible. And I think with since we've seen Manolo care for her up until the point he was let go. She's having better days. She's having her best days. So that's that's notable. That's worth mentioning. Fair enough. And <laughs> now she's here for her passport because Manolo wants to take her on a cruise. No conflicts anymore. <laughs> but talk about revenge. There's a lot of, you know, Ted says something in that in that meeting about Sunkist we might as well fire all our clients because they're just waiting for the knife in the back, something like that. So again, horror film, there is a lot of backstab. I mean, li- li- there is a lot of backstabbing in this episode. So let me ask you something. After we hear Bob on the phone speaking Spanish to Manolo about how horrible he can be to Pete, 
Is that before Dorothy comes in? Oh yeah, he that's what that's the result. Oh, okay. Yeah. He sicked this on Pete. Yeah, it was okay, so that was his revenge on Pete was Manolo taking Dorothy. Okay. It, it seems that he basically after he says he's he's fucking with my future, he was like, turn it up. Turn it up with Got her. It. Go back. Well, you know, if they're not if they haven't been who knows what but yeah, that's that was a definite cause and effect. Okay, then then Duck comes back with, this guy's a fraud, everything's a phony, never never went to Wharton, Penn, all of it's a lie. You guys were the only ones dumb enough to hire him without doing a background <laughs> check. And I love that other bit. Well, you know, I'd give the $1,000 back, but consider <laughs> consider this useful information, which it is. Absolutely. And he did, a, he did his research. He did his job. At Brown Brothers Harriman... He was a, quote, manservant to a senior VP for three years. The VP took him to Europe on the Queen Elizabeth. This all is so coded gay. Right. Manservant. Right. <laughs> it's coded gay. But it's also kind of like, at this point, a little bit of Occam's razor. Right. It's the simplest explanation. It's not some fanciful, out-of-the-blue story. It fits entirely. Bob sees Pete as his future... You know, the, the person to whom he's going to be a, a manservant to next. Right. Which is why it doesn't matter if we've seen him do his job or not, because his job is getting in with with Pete. I suppose. I, but it doesn't explain why other people are so enamored of him. But he's clearly targeted Pete as his his guy. Again, we haven't seen it. You're right. That's been what's missing. We haven't. And there's been this this glossy phoniness this glossy phony quality but if we compare him to your don draper he's probably very good at his job uh, yeah if we if we want to make that that connection sure because he certainly has the don draper backstory connection and you know what he says to pete is you, you don't you don't take gratitude very well mm. which is sort of like the the self-pity part of it. I'm just trying to show you gratitude you're not showing me appreciation. That was very gaslighty though, wasn't it? Very much so. Very much so. But that's also, to me, you made the comparison to Sal, right? Like here we we found out we have a homosexual employee. Let's find a way to fire him, right? Which was Sal's story in part. But with Bob and Pete, Pete's attitude towards homosexuality we know is so, you know, what's the word, revanchist, that we do expect him to fire Bob either on the spot, you know, from the last time it happened, or now that he's got cause. But instead, his reaction is is a very madman <laughs> switcheroo, right? Which is, no, 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 you're not Sal, you're Don. You're the guy with the, the phony backstory, and you can take it right back to Nixon versus Kennedy in season one, you know, one never knows how loyalty is born. Right from the Nixon commercial we saw earlier yeah, right there, i mean right this is very the new nixon oh that's i love that yeah 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 perfect this is a, there's a lot of parallels to nixon v kennedy in this perfect episode. perfect including Be Pe peggy getting fucked over at the office <laughs> that's right but pete's reaction is more like no i'd rather keep my enemies close pete's learned something he not has. a lot of people in, in this show do <laughs> i mean how easily could pete have outed him and just taken the job that he wanted i mean that was the it was more there for him here than it was in Nixon versus right. Kennedy because Pete was so junior. Right. 
and because Bob is gay. He also was scared, I think, a little bit. I mean, he, in addition to having learned his lesson, he also, he didn't want to go through the humiliation again of having it not work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's rough. So that to me is the, is the real connection to be drawn or the historical knowledge that we have about Pete as to why he's acting the way he's acting. So, you know, pretty amazing stuff. Now, there's one bit of business really left with this episode, which is, um, you know, what ultimately happens between Sally and, excuse me, between Peggy and Don in Don's office at the end. That's that's not a bad slip. She's really, you know, say what you want about Peggy. She's really been Don's work daughter more than work wife. Ted's work wife, Don's work daughter, which is why that movie scene was so, you know, raw to Don. Going back to the, the, the scene in the conference room with the client from St. Joseph's, Ted is flapping around in the water. He is struggling to uh, show the basically do, do his job, which is to get or turn the client around on this larger budget and get him to accept the fact that it's a different storyline, a different idea. It's what you wanted and it's worth more. Again, as we said, Don disadvantaged him for that. For that conversation. Yeah. Don put him behind the eight ball with that big time. And then that opens the door for Don, who probably knew he was going to do this all along. Oh, he set this whole thing up. To come in and save the save the day with a um, what we can only imagine is a phony story about Frank Leeson's. He says, basically, this idea that we gave you and the reason Ted is fighting so hard for it is because it was Frank's last yeah, the, the last bit of Frank's work. But but what he does first is he dangles it for like a full minute. Oh, the personal. Yeah, it's so personal. Right. The client is saying, I want a reason. I want a reason. And Don is saying, you know, excuse me. I know I'm. this isn't really my place, but but I, I you have to, I, you know, if I may, Ted, I think you should tell him the reason. We understand that it's personal. So you've got this thing where where Don is just letting all of this linger while he seems like he's outing this yes. Ted and Peggy affair or love interest or whatever it is and really tortures them with that before he then swoops in and says, okay, if you won't say it, I will. It's, this was Frank Gleason's last idea. I mean, it was, it was a dick move, a Dick Whitman maneuver of, of the greatest pacing. Uh, I mean, it was awful. It was just dreadful. Yeah. 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 And then it works. Of course it works. Don knew it would work. You know, Don's the only one that could have employed it because it, the, the other guys would not have. Unless there was something that literally was Frank Leeson's last idea and really did fit the bill of, of, of helping a client and furthering the agency and really, you know, where it was authentic. <laughs> That I, you know, there I think they all would do it, but this was not that. This was made up. Well, the whole thing is that this was Peggy's idea. That's why Ted is fighting so hard for it. He doesn't. He doesn't want to let her down. How you know this is her Cleo. You know this is all about Peggy. To, yeah, and Ted's feelings for Peggy. So it's not Frank's. <laughs> Clearly, Frank was probably not well enough to see this film. Probably the timeline doesn't even line up, but I'm, I have not checked my dates, but. None of it. None of it. But it's it's a, it's a horrible thing for Don to do and say. 
And we've now seen him do this uh, pretending to be on your side, but fucking something over in front of a client. We've now seen him do it more than once. He did it with, with Jaguar. He did it with Herb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is now like how Don operates, you know, in this merger with this world, how he's he's he, he he's the tragedy of Don is that he's good at some of this shit and he, it gets him in and out of trouble equally. We're about to see how much. Mm. And that's what this is. And that's what brings Peggy into Don's office to confront him about this. And he, I guess, was he's always was quite sleeping, but he's sitting there with a satisfied glass of scotch on his chest. First, what Peggy does is she stops by Ted's office and she says to Moira, did you tell him I wanted to see him? And she says, without giving away the glee that she is clearly feeling, (laughs) yes, that's when he left. You know, again, Moira is seeing it. Everybody, Clara, everybody in the office is seeing it. Yeah. Yeah the whole office so peggy confronts don with it and you know calls him out a hundred percent she says you're a monster and the look on his face i gotta tell you that was where i was a little disconnected when she said you're a monster i was kind of like yeah yeah but he felt it i didn't quite feel it as much as he felt it i felt it more like when alex steed said it to me like oh you're right don's a monster um but don definitely felt it and how the episode closes is how it began. Don is back in the fetal position, overhead mm. shot. It was his work daughter that sent him there. You know, it's perfect parallel. He's, he's all this revenge did not feel very good in the end. Yeah. All these, all these episodes, I mean, some are landing for me more and harder and better than others. Um, this one again, not so much, but I do love the craft that's gone into this season. We're about to finish season six. I, I'm a, I like all of these notes, all of that. You know, we always say, what's the season about? Whatever they're about is hidden later and later into the, each season. It's harder and harder to pick up what the important setup pieces are. That's I, I love that part of it. It's very well crafted to conceal what's really important. Yeah. That's fantastic because that's what rewards sticking through some of these episodes that you're just not as enamored with. But when you step back and see it as a whole, it it gives you a lot. It's a lot richer. And I I do like that part of it. It's doing a lot of that for me at this this time around. One thing about season six, obviously, we'll we'll talk more about it, but it's a hard one to be with. You know, even even Mm. if episode even if each episode was the best ever. There's two things that I'm thinking. One is it's hard to be with. It's hard to be with Don. Everybody is becoming sick of Don's shit, including us. And that's hard. You know, that's why, why are, why, then why are we watching? Right. The other thing is we've talked about this. There's so many, and we just talked about it now with Nixon v. Kennedy. There's so much circling back and it's because people don't change and that's fair and that's fine. But it's, it's, t- it's a little tiring, I think, to see so much that doesn't feel new. So, so much action and motion and activity to end up in the same place emotionally or, or uh, physically or otherwise. It's a lot of work to not move. And everything old is new again and everything. And, uh, you know, haven't we seen this before? And that's deliberate, but it is 
tiring. It, it is. It is. And it, it, it but, but it, it's worth it. It's worth it for this larger story, I feel. I think so. It's the kind of thing that's very hard to explain to people <laughs> that, that aren't so into the show. That's, that's the hard part. But hey, we're here because we love the show. So, well, those people are wrong. Let's take one more break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll come back with some quotes. Okay. He had strength and she had none. And yet we both reach for the gun. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, we both, oh, yes, we both, oh, yes, we both reach for the gun, the gun, the gun, the gun. Oh, yes, we both reach for the gun, for the gun. What's your quote, Dan? Lee Garner Jr. made me hold his balls. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They weren't talking about accounts. No, actually, they weren't. Um, yeah, this is part of the the trading war stories in first office. <laughs> Bob's look on his face was of hilarity. <laughs> it was very like it's in the background. It's not the first thing you notice, but it is very funny. He's like, ah! <laughs> pretty sure it was a ad lib from uh, John Slatter. Oh, I don't think so. Probably not, but I'd like to think. <laughs> not it was. on this show, man. That was that was verboten. <laughs> What's yours? Betty Francis, she has good manners with everyone but me. <laughs> I mean, that's just, ain't that life that's as a, a mother, mom. yep. Yeah, that's a mom. Yeah, this was an interesting Betty episode. Yeah. Very, you know, un- understated Betty episode. Yeah, it really was. Uh, the only thing that I didn't under, like, that was not, they're halfway home. I mean, maybe not halfway home, but they're back on the highway with that same, uh, you know, backdrop of uh, mm-hmm. fake autumn leaves behind a, a studio car. And so you know that wherever you are in a, when you're upstate, you have to drive a bunch before you get to that highway. And, the, mm-hmm. and, and then they're talking. And then Betty's like, well, you actually got in. And it's like, what? she wouldn't have walked out the door and been like, dude, you got in. Like, that was just. Yeah. Anytime I rem- I'm reminded that it's a television show and that's the kind of thing that reminds me. Like, no, that's dumb. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Next week is the finale. It is in care of and uh, we can't wait. I'm going to go watch Chicago. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Bye. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theycoinedpod for bonus content and extras. For cool swag, visit etsy.com slash shop slash theycoinedstore. Neat looking shirts, hoodies, and tchotchkes. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us questions at theycoinedpod.com, Twitter and Instagram at TCI Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.